When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Rachel Louise Cook disappeared on Thursday, January 10th, 2002. When a person disappears without a trace, often the most critical information is hidden in their actions and words from the days before they vanished. Rachel Cook's last known whereabouts may hold the clues to what happened to her. 19-year-old Rachel Cook returns to her small Texas hometown from San Diego for the holidays. We were worried about her in San Diego. We thought that they'd have a crime rate. While staying at her parents' house, she goes out for a run and disappears. Never occurred to us that it would happen when she was at home. Home's supposed to be safe, and it wasn't. Somebody has done something horrible to Rachel. For years, investigators and family are tormented by the baffling case. You have a person who basically vanished. Being the parent of a missing person, there's a thing we say that it's one of the biggest clubs in the world, and it's one club you never want to join. For the Cook family of Georgetown, Texas, Thursday, January 10th, 2002, begins like any other day. Robert, a software engineer, his wife Janet, an art teacher, and their youngest daughter Joanne, a high school student, eat breakfast and share plans. The only thing a little out of the ordinary this morning is the presence of the family's eldest daughter, Rachel, who is sprawled out asleep on a nearby couch. Rachel is visiting on her winter break from a college in San Diego. She was sleeping on her couch while she was in town for my cousin's wedding. Rachel has extended her stay in Texas to attend the wedding and has been driving her family crazy, asking them which of the many outfits she has brought home she should wear. She couldn't decide, and she was asking everybody's opinion on which one. Of course, she'd end up using the one she wanted anyway, but she always asked. Bad hair day. 
She was very into fashion. My sister was kind of a fashionista in her own way. She loved shopping. It was one of her very favorite things to do. On Christmas Day, she'd worn a new tan sweater with beaded trim. She was like, yeah, this is my new sweater. I got it, it was $400, and my mouth just dropped open. I couldn't believe it, but that's kind of how she was. We were supposed to go out that Thursday night, and we were so excited because I hadn't seen her in so long. Shannon Leach hasn't seen much of her best friend since Rachel moved to California, but their relationship goes back a long way. Rachel and I met probably, I think we were about five years old, and she was just one of those people you love to be around. She was funny and beautiful, just such a good person. Rachel brought her new boyfriend home with her, but by New Year's, he'd already returned to California. She told me how happy and in love with him that she was, and they seemed to get along really well, and she seemed very happy. He was a super guy. He was very attentive to her, very sympathetic to her desires about her future, her dreams. My sister told me that she really thought Greg was the one. She told me that she wanted to, you know, eventually get engaged. Rachel is planning to move in with Greg and enroll in a fashion design program once she returns. I think she would have been very successful because she always had her own style on things. She was just always looked beautiful in whatever she did because she could create these outfits that nobody else could get away with and it would just look amazing on her. When she was 18, Rachel brought her fashion sense to the Miss Georgetown contest. She didn't win, but that didn't faze her. Rachel normally wasn't into pageantry type things, but she decided her senior year that she was gonna take part in that. And I think she really enjoyed the experience. As to winning, I don't think that was her real goal. I think it was just to take part. She's very beautiful, and so men were always attracted to her. She was just one of those people that you wanted to be around all the time. She just uh, loved life, and she never could get enough done in a day. She had her whole life to do things. On that Thursday morning, Rachel's father, Robert, leaves first. Her sister and mother say their goodbyes around 8 a.m. and head for school. I walked over and told her goodbye, and she just kind of mumbled. So we say, good morning, goodbye, and we left for work. Around an hour later, Rachel is awakened by a cell phone call from her boyfriend in San Diego. She tells him she is going to get up and go for her daily run in the neighborhood. Rachel says she misses him and will call him when she returns home after her jog. She'd run four, six miles every day, so that was a good workout for her. It kept her in shape. Athletic since childhood, Rachel has been an avid runner for most of her life. She started running in elementary school, and she suddenly realized that she was beating almost all the boys, and she decided she wanted to do that, and she did long-distance track and cross-country. Sometime after her phone call with her boyfriend ends, Rachel puts on her running clothes, grabs a portable radio and earphones, and goes out for her run. 
Her parents' ranch-style house is in a subdivision of Georgetown, Texas, a little north of Austin. Most homes sit on large lots of more than an acre and are set back from the road. On a workday, there isn't much traffic by foot or by car as Rachel jogs her usual route. She has been running here since she was a child. She loved it out there, and I think she, in a way, missed it. She loved the excitement of California, but home's always home, too. Hours later, when her family returns, Rachel is not home. And from the looks of things, she's never returned from her run at all. Nineteen-year-old Rachel Cook has gone out for her customary six-mile run. Hours later, her father returns home and finds several of his daughter's dresses and shoes lined up in the living room. But Rachel isn't there. Her father notices that Rachel's cell phone is still at the house, as is her purse. Wondering where she could have gone without them, Robert calls Rachel's longtime friend, Shannon Leach. He had asked me if I had talked to her, and I had said no, but we were planning on going out later, and he told me that she was gone, but that none of her stuff was gone. And everybody that knew Rachel knew she didn't go anywhere without her personal belongings, especially her makeup. So right then when he told me that, I started to get really worried. Rachel's family is concerned too. Her mother phones wildfire, a restaurant where Rachel sometimes works when she's in town. They said she worked that night, so we thought, well, maybe she cut a ride to there and she was filling in for someone and she forgot to take her purse and her cell phone and she'd be coming home uh, anytime. But by morning, Rachel has not returned. Another call to the restaurant uncovers a mix-up it was a different Rachel, not Rachel Cook, who had worked the night before. Now even more alarmed, her family surveys Rachel's extensive wardrobe and discovers that only her jogging outfit and running shoes are missing. I knew something was terribly, terribly, terribly wrong. And all evidence looked like she'd gone out for a run and had not come home. I decided that I was going to go out and drive Rachel's jogging path. I drove that really slow, looking to see maybe she got hit by a car and might have been laying on the side. Janet Cook checks out the local hospital. It has been more than 24 hours since Rachel went out for her run and disappeared. Neither parent finds any sign of their daughter. As if in a dream, they head to the sheriff's office to report Rachel missing. We received a report on January the 11th, 2002, from Robert and Janet Cook that their daughter, Rachel Cook, was missing. She had been unaccounted for for already a day. Rachel was a hometown girl. She grew up here. She was raised here. Everybody knew her. To our knowledge, and most of the agencies around here, there's never been a case like this. Georgetown is a classically quaint old Texas town, surrounded by quiet residential neighborhoods and cattle ranches. Abductions were unheard of until Rachel Cook disappeared. 
nothing happens here. It's a small town, everybody's friendly. You don't think that something like that could happen to you. Her parents have been uneasy about Rachel living in the much larger city of San Diego, where she moved after high school. We were worried about her in San Diego. We thought that they'd have a crime rate. It never occurred to us that it would happen when she was at home. Nothing ever happened to her there, and she comes home, and home's supposed to be safe, and it wasn't. At first, Rachel's family believes the authorities are slow to respond to their missing person report. I felt like the police didn't take it seriously enough, a little bit inclined to say, it's probably nothing, things like that don't happen here. She was a young girl, she probably just went out to go party and didn't tell people, because for the most part, that's what happens in Georgetown. You've said that she was off in Mexico, probably with her boyfriend, and that she'd be home any minute, and that was kind of discouraging. We lost some valuable time because in an abduction, the first 48, 72 hours, that's, that's, that's your window right there. And we lost it. When the cooks don't hear back from police on Friday, they organize a search by friends and family for Saturday morning. When an investigator finally appears around noon on Saturday, he stops the search. They were, I think, kind of astounded at how many people were out there. But I think they were also freaking out because there were people just tromping around on what might be a crime scene. The next day, an investigator from the legendary Texas Rangers joins the investigation. I was contacted by the Williamson County Sheriff's Office on January the 13th of 2002. Pretty early on in the investigation, it was determined that it would be unlike Rachel's behavior just to go off and not tell anyone where she was, so it created suspicion. And he told me he didn't think Rachel left on her own, so that made me feel a little bit more like I finally got to the right person. And so they started approaching it more like there was a problem. An all-out official search involving volunteers and several agencies begins on Sunday, four days after Rachel vanishes. We utilized everything we had, ATVs, horseback, helicopters, massive search parties, brought in a search team called EquiSearch to help do the search with us so we'd have more manpower. Anywhere Rachel was known to have gone when she was at home, that area was searched. But the searchers turn up nothing. No sign of Rachel Cook or any of the clothing that she was possibly wearing. Detectives struggle to set up a timeline of Rachel's last known movements. She was last seen by her mother and sister around 8 a.m. on Thursday. Cell phone records confirm her last phone call was with her boyfriend in California, ending at 9.15 a.m. When police canvass the neighborhood, it turns out a number of neighbors caught sight of Rachel as she was jogging later that Thursday morning. Two separate couples they identified her, and they described her clothing and her hair, and we believe that to be Rachel. It was after 10 a.m. on Thursday when Rachel passed one couple out for their daily walk as she did her circuit around the neighborhood. Around 20 minutes later, she passed them again. A woman working in her yard with her daughter tells investigators she saw Rachel as she ran to the end of their cul-de-sac and did some stretches. 
The two exchange greetings, and Rachel continues on her run. The last known sighting of Rachel Cook was a couple that actually knew the family, and around 10.45, they were pulling out of their driveway, and Rachel had run behind the vehicle. They had looked at her and, and did recognize that it was her running, and they saw her going towards her house. Their residence was about 200 yards from her residence, so they assumed that she was going home. After that, Rachel Cook disappears as if into thin air. There's no evidence that she actually arrived at the house. So assumptions were that she was abducted during that jog from the neighborhood in which she lived. It is an assumption that leaves little to go on and is of no comfort to her family. As the days go by with no sign of Rachel, her parents are devastated. They were a wreck. They were both in tears, just not knowing what was going on and what had happened to Rachel. Rachel's disappearance is a baffling mystery, a probable crime without a crime scene to investigate. You have a person who basically vanished. We have absolutely no evidence of a crime scene at all. There's no evidence on the road. There's no evidence in the house. There's no evidence anywhere that anything even happened to her. Rachel Cook's disappearance shocks Central Texas. The official search ends after several days, but hundreds of volunteers help the Cooks continue to look for their daughter for weeks. When they'd come back, they'd feel so disappointed because they had not found her. They'd be in tears and very emotional about it. Mounted search and recovery teams from Texas EquiSearch comb hundreds of square miles for evidence. They turned in everything that was semi-suspicious to the Sheriff's Department. I'd look around and think, oh my God, Rachel, look at all these people that care for you, baby. It just tore me up that so many people would come together for her. Media attention brings a record number of tips to police. There were hundreds of leads, if not thousands. I have interviewed probably in the triple digits people that we have as a suspect or just a witness on this case. Early on, investigators develop a lead. A suspicious car was seen by many in the neighborhood the day Rachel disappeared. A white Camaro was seen in the area. We actually lost count of how many reports we had of white Camaros come into the tip line. Witnesses report two young men in a white Camaro aimlessly circling the neighborhood. One report mentions a jogger in Rachel's age range near the Camaro. Another suggests a young woman possibly struggling in the car. Investigators worked really hard to locate that particular car. Uh, several were located and uh, examined, but no evidence was found that actually linked Rachel to those particular vehicles. Finally, the lead about the two young men in the Camaro comes to a dead end. It turns out to be a couple of teenagers playing hooky. They admitted to us what they were doing in the area. Background search was completed on both of them. There was no evidence in their vehicle that we needed as far as DNA evidence or anything. And they were excluded as uh, suspects in this case. The Camaro isn't the only vehicle of interest. Sheriff's Department divers suit up and search the murky waters of Lake Georgetown just a couple of miles down the road from the Cook home. 
We had reports such as vehicles submerged here in the Lake Georgetown, and those were recovered from the lake and deemed to have been stolen earlier before her disappearance, so they were not related, so that was ruled out. Composite sketches of unidentified males seen in the area are drawn up by police artists and distributed to the public. Those, of course, went through the media and no real good tips on those as far as who they might look like or, or anything such as that. In addition to suspicious strangers, detectives examine people closer to home. Rachel's boyfriend, Greg, who flies back on Sunday to help with the search, is questioned as soon as he arrives. Initially, I was involved in interviewing a present boyfriend of Rachel's from California. Greg is given a lie detector test, even though phone records confirm that his call to Rachel the morning she disappeared was made from San Diego. We were able to pretty much rule the gentleman out early in the investigation and continue our focus on other people. Both of Rachel's parents also volunteered to take lie detector tests. Robert fails a question on his. They asked me if I knew where Rachel was. I said no, and unfortunately, I think I, think I do. I think she's in heaven. So uh, I think that's why I didn't pass that one question on the, on the quiz. You start ruling out those people close to her. They were able to clear some people. Some still remain people of interest. One of Rachel's ex-boyfriends becomes a person of interest. Her sister Joanne's suspicions center on him. My sister had mentioned that she had seen her ex-boyfriend, and she didn't go into detail with me, but she had mentioned that, that he made a scene. My intuition tells me that it's not unreasonable to think that he could have had a fight with her and something happened. Many of Rachel's friends and family members say they considered her relationship with the ex-boyfriend to be volatile. Their relationship was really kind of like fire and ice from the get-go. Rachel's mother says the young man was very upset after Rachel broke off their relationship. And when she came home the next time for the holiday, he came over and he was inebriated. And he came, it must have been three o'clock at night, pounding on the door wanting to see Rachel. So I had to threaten him because he just would not leave. I threatened to call the sheriff's department. He still wanted to be a part of her life and she didn't want to have anything to do with him. They had been at a party a couple nights before and people heard him arguing and he was yelling at her and telling her that he couldn't live without her and he wanted to be with her again and that she needed to be with him. This was two days before she disappeared. Police investigate but the man denies any involvement in Rachel's disappearance. I just don't know. Ex-boyfriends, ex-husbands are always someone you have to look at, but when you don't have any proof, then you can't really call them a suspect. The months go by. Despite all the efforts to solve the mystery, the first anniversary of Rachel's disappearance arrives with authorities seemingly no closer to finding out what happened to Rachel Cook than they were at the outset. The family begins to lose hope. I started thinking about all of the things that she was going to miss that I was still going to get to do. Being the parent of a missing person or being 
a relative of a missing person. There's a thing we say that it's one of the biggest clubs in the world. And it's one club you never want to join. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Janice from Warner Brothers Discovery. Have you ever heard the expression, perfect is the enemy of good? I think about that a lot, especially when it comes to my body and health, because perfect does not exist. It's a total trap. Noom isn't into this perfection thing either. Its unique approach is tailored to each person's psychology and biology. From coaching to recipes, Noom's app provides personalized information to help you on your journey, no one else's journey. I also think it's great that Noom doesn't restrict what you can eat, and it doesn't shame you for treating yourself. And treat yourself, you should. What's more, Noom's approach is grounded in science. They've even published more than 30 peer-reviewed scientific articles about how they work. To date, Noom has helped more than 5.2 million people lose weight by helping them build new habits for a healthier lifestyle. So why not give it a try? Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first-ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. An exhaustive investigation fails to solve the mystery of Rachel Cook's disappearance. A year later, there are lots of theories about what may have happened to Rachel, but no evidence. There's really no telling how it came down after she passed that driveway. Somebody was driving by and took an opportunity. It could be a possibility that someone was laying in wait for her. It would not have been easy for her to hear someone coming up on her. I suspect that it happened either in the last part of her jog or else as soon as she walked in the house because we never locked our house. Um, we felt safe in that country area. The case goes cold 
and becomes officially inactive. For the Cooks, the stress of Rachel's loss leads to additional family crises. My sister's disappearance definitely changed my family. Um, I think we each deal in our own way. And um, in a way that kind of got in between some of us. Robert and I weren't communicating. When it came to Rachel's stuff, we were together. We were gonna do what we needed to do for our baby. But his and mine's personal relationship just, it just wasn't there anymore. She wanted hugs, she wanted comfort. Whereas my dad wanted to make sure it doesn't happen again. And then he also was kind of our liaison for the media and making sure the word got out. It was very difficult on us because when you have a missing loved one, that comes to be like a second job. I ended up getting laid off. Janet and I were divorced. And just psychologically, it's always there. You wake up to it every day. I asked for a divorce because I was just trying to keep myself alive. I mean, I had depression like you wouldn't believe. And I was seeing a psychiatrist, and I was on major meds. And me, I kind of, I tried to go on with, with life as much as I could, as much as normal. Then, two years after Rachel disappears, there is fresh interest in the case when a new sheriff pulls together a Rachel Cook task force made up of sheriff's detectives, Texas Rangers, FBI, and the Austin Cold Case Unit. And they thought they were really going to find Rachel. They tried for a long time and still did not come up with a lot that um, hadn't been found before. In 2006, Detective Larry Hawkins is assigned. And when the task force is disbanded, he inherits its files which take up six shelves and several file cabinets in his office. The father of three daughters, he is determined to solve the case. A lot of police officers are looked at, we don't have a heart, and we're all about business, but Rachel Cook is someone's daughter. And for those of us who have kids, it, it kind of hits home. Then, in August of 2006, investigators get what looks like a clear breakthrough in the case. From prison, a convicted murderer contacts authorities with a stunning story. A gentleman named Michael Moore, who was the subject of an unrelated homicide investigation, told investigators that he was responsible for uh, the disappearance of Rachel Cook. Michael Moore is a career criminal who has been in and out of trouble since the age of 13. Moore has spent much of his adult life in prison. At the time of his confession to law officers, he is serving four life sentences for the 2003 robbery and murder of a young mother and her unborn child in a town neighboring Georgetown. Michael Moore is a very interesting individual. He does have a history of murder. He has a history of a lot of things that would make him be a, a good suspect for this case. Both Detective Hawkins and Texas Ranger Lindemann, among others, interview Moore in prison. He tells them he was driving around the neighborhood looking for someone to rob when he saw Rachel. He advised us that he killed Rachel Cook and named locations that he had taken her. 
he came forward and confessed that he had taken Rachel and dumped her body in Matagora Bay, which is on the Gulf Coast of Texas. Moore offers investigators a chilling, detailed account of what he had done to Rachel and how he had accosted her on the road. And he stopped when she was jogging on the road and killed her with a hammer. Um, that was all hard to hear. The story is plausible. Moore was out of prison at the time of Rachel's disappearance and lived not far from her parents' house. After Rachel disappeared, a white pickup truck became a vehicle of interest. Moore was said to have driven a white pickup at the time. Rachel's mother remembers seeing such a vehicle near her house. There is a white pickup truck that was in the area. And I think it was the first night after we went to the police before the police were involved in the search, it cruised real slowly by the house. Investigators continue to spend time talking with Moore. They believe they are starting to build a solid case. Investigators interrogated him extensively, uh, even taking him to locations where he had claimed to have disposed of her body. Divers search a location Moore takes them to in Matagorda Bay, but they find nothing. Still, he and his attorneys work out a deal for Moore to plead guilty to the murder of Rachel Cook. In return for helping investigators, Moore is to get only an additional 18 months on his existing sentence. The Cooks hope for some kind of closure. Finally, an end to their long ordeal is in sight. They gather their family and friends and go to the courthouse for Michael Moore's plea hearing. It was a really big deal for me and my family that we might get some sort of resolution. So people canceled everything they had going on in their lives to, to make it up here for that. And we went in there and I saw Moore for the first time in person, sitting there with his lawyers. November 9th, 2006. For four years, Rachel Cook's family has been waiting and hoping for this day. A convicted murderer, Michael Moore, says he is finally going to tell them what happened to their daughter. The day that Mr. Moore was going to enter his plea of guilty, there was a lot of interest generated because there had been so much extensive news covery of Rachel's disappearance, and now it came down to the day that somebody was going to admit that they were the cause of her disappearance. There was tons of reporters. The courtroom was absolutely full. It was almost like you see on TV. It just seemed very surreal. The courtroom was packed with people, and Mr. Moore stood there to uh, enter his plea. Call calls number 061823 K368 State versus Michael Keith Moore. If the charge of murder is alleged, how do you plead? Repeat that for me. And then. He got up there, and he said not guilty. And it was kind of a hush just fell over the entire crowd. Nobody knew what to do. He had been feeding the information that he had done it and said that he had done it. And then out of nowhere, he just decides that he was going to take it back. 
which was contrary to what he had been telling investigators and the prosecutor's office that he was going to do. Moore's turnabout creates an uproar, even surprising his lawyers. But he sticks to his not guilty plea, and the hearing is dismissed. The Cook family voices outrage. They feel victimized all over again. Come forward and be a man for once in your life and tell the truth. Moore later tells a reporter that he made the whole story up. He is a predator. He lives and breathes based on taking advantage of other people. And he used my daughter for his own gain. That's why he, he did everything. I was livid. I thought that whether or not he had done it, the fact that he would put my family through that, that we would all come there hoping to get some kind of answers. And then he just throws it back in her face and says, he doesn't care about anything. The DA announces he will pursue a murder charge against Moore, but a grand jury is never called. Without Moore's cooperation, there is no case. We were not able to speak to him anymore after that. He did sign paperwork, but it was not finalized by a judge as far as prosecuting him on it. There's no evidence that he actually did what he said he did. Personally, that was the first time that I had had anyone own up to or claim to have done such a thing and then at the last minute back out on those claims. He's still a very strong person of interest. Investigators have not been idle in the years since Michael Moore changed his plea. Acting on tips, Williamson County divers have searched Georgetown Lake at least four times, but they haven't found any trace of Rachel. Detective Larry Hawkins and Texas Ranger Matt Lindemann continue to work leads, hoping for a breakthrough. You have to eliminate everything because one day you're going to have a legitimate tip. We have some tips of interest that we're looking at right now. Some of those tips lead investigators to excavate portions of a property in Williamson County. Detective Hawkins uses ground-penetrating radar probes to look for disturbed soil and other indications someone may be buried at a location. For the last three years, we get a continuous tip, as I call it, that Rachel is on a certain property. We've had multiple searches out there. It's just a continuous story that we hear with a little twist each time. Comes back to the same people every time. We're gonna keep looking at it. It's a, it's a very large piece of property and uh, we're hopeful. Rachel's family members go forward with their lives, but the pain and doubt are always there for them. I would really love to know what happened, why it happened, why. Rachel was such a giving soul and such a friendly soul. Janet Cook lives alone, surrounded by her art, including a portrait of Rachel. She still teaches art to students at Georgetown High School, Rachel's alma mater. Her dog is a rescue from Hurricane Katrina. Janet built the koi pond and waterfall by herself. The sound of falling water helps give her peace from the questions that echo in her mind. Was it an accident? Was it on purpose? I don't know. Janet is unsure if Michael Moore is responsible for her daughter's disappearance, but she would like to find out. If he did have anything to do with it, directly or indirectly, 
for the love of God and the saving of his soul. Please come forward. Would he do that for me? Would he do that for himself? In January of 2011, Michael Moore agrees to be interviewed about Rachel Cook for this program at the state prison in Gatesville, Texas. The camera is set up in the prison chapel. But when he appears, he says he has changed his mind, just as he did that day in court in 2006. Rachel's family doesn't know what to make of Moore's infuriating and cryptic behavior. At times, they think he may have had a hand in Rachel's disappearance. But more often, they think he is simply manipulating them. He could have murdered Rachel. I'm not going to say anything. He lived not too far from us. So he could have done it. But I just, I just had this feeling that he was just taking advantage of us. Robert Cook keeps a small house in the Georgetown area where his daughter Joanne lives while getting a master's degree in social work at the University of Texas in Austin. My sister's disappearance kind of solidified for me that I wanted to be in a profession where I'm involved with people. And I also want to make sure that anybody who's having any issues in their own life has somebody to talk to so that they don't they don't feel tempted to do what whoever took my sister did. Finding Rachel has been Robert's first priority since the day she disappeared, and the years have taken a heavy toll on him. You feel guilty. You know, it's uh, that you're not doing more, but there's just so much you can do as a private person. Without a lot of resources, you just can't do a lot. He had made Rachel a promise that he was not going to quit until he found her. And he took that very, very, very seriously, and he still does. And at this point in his life, you know, not having found her, I think it's really chewing on him. Investigators say they will never give up on a case that still haunts Georgetown, Texas. Rachel's image has shone down from billboards here. And a ceremony takes place each year on the anniversary of her disappearance at a memorial tree planted at her high school. It is important to me that it be solved for the Cook family and for the uh, community. I believe that someone out there knows exactly what happened to Rachel Cook. Hopefully they will really think about it after watching this and realize that it's someone's child, that it's someone's sister, someone's grandchild, and there's a lot of devastated people out there. It's possible somebody might have abducted her and just have her locked up somewhere. So what I would like is answers, just to know. I mean, um, even if that means we know she's dead. It's a horrible thing to not know what happened, and I think it's even worse than a murder because you can't even bury your child. I used to be embarrassed about crying on camera, but hey, guess what? I've earned these tears. <laughs> I have every right to cry. Any mother would cry. So why hide it, you know? It's just evidence how much I love her. Hold up. 
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.